All right, we are back. We've got more than ample time to solve America's favorite murder mystery. Uh, joined here by Steve Alexander. Okay, so, uh, Doug, we've, we've reviewed a number of the key areas in terms of motive, lack of motive, conspiracy, etc. What would your reconstruction be of what happened in Dealey Plaza on November 22nd, 1963? Well, you know, when I talk about this, I always say to people, you know, I'll just spot you. I'll spot you Oswald in the window, three shots, a lucky day of shooting, and we still have a conspiracy here, which I think is the greater issue. It's like there's a hired killing that takes place. Who did the killing? The trigger man or the person that paid the money to have the job done? We're looking at, like, who's behind this, and we're not going to be able to solve that. So I guess what we like to, to, to um, focus on instead is, you know, what actually happened in Dealey Plaza. As best I can reconstruct it, and I do want to thank uh, the late Rex Dean in Sacramento, who had a, a wonderful projection system with which we were able to look at the Zapperter film in, in, in just uh, remarkable detail. When we did so, we saw what everybody saw back in 1964. They, they got this film, this remarkable film that was just taken in a, you know, a very good position to, to, uh, to, to chronicle what took place. They took that film into Dallas with John Conley there and said, when do you think you're hit? And everybody seemed to agree, Kennedy's hit. Conley's hit, then there's the fatal wounding. They took it to the autopsy pathologist and said, what do you see? And they said, oh, Kennedy's hit, Conley's hit, there's the fatal shooting. I mean, everybody thought that's what happened. The FBI, uh, their official report before the Warren uh, report came out, concluded exactly that. Everybody but everybody sees that in the film. And if I dare say, if you watch it under a good projection system, that's what you'll see too. The Warren report had a problem though. Arlen Specter who was in charge of reconstructing the shooting, discovered that the Manlicker Carcano, bolted in a vice, could only be cycled in 2.3 seconds. And when you look at the film, the two men, the governor and the president, are struck in a shorter interval than that, which means one of two things. You either got two gunmen shooting from the rear, or one bullet does all the damage. Guess which one they decided to go with? The one bullet. <laughs> well, Yes. And, and then when it comes back to try and reconstruct what happens in, in that, uh, that strike to the head, again, I do think there's compelling evidence that he's accelerated first backwards by a shot from the knoll, and then a moment later, there appears to be changes that are very strange. I've looked at it in detail and just been absolutely puzzled by it, but I, it appears to be the second bullet striking him from the rear. Now, if the grassy knoll assassin hadn't hit him, Whoever was shooting from the rear probably would have put in a fatal shot a second later anyway. But what killed Kennedy? A shot from the knoll. I mean, this is what Kenny O'Donnell and Dave Powers, they were in the car right behind the limo. They were Kennedy's best pals. They were convinced a shot came, at least one shot, possibly two, came from the knoll. Well, and in fact, they diagrammed a field of blood spatter behind Kennedy to their left towards side across from the grassy knoll, the grassy side of Dealey Plaza. I don't think Powers did that, but certainly other people looked at it and noticed that the cops riding to his left rear were spattered with blood. The cops to his the right side were not. Clint Hill, as he's climbing onto the limo, had blood all over him, which again is consistent with the shot coming from the right front, striking the top of the head and then blowing fragments to the, le to the uh, left side of the street, which it did. Are there any witnesses to any activity that went on at the grassy knoll? Absolutely. Uh, there was a man in a tower, which if you've seen the JFK movie, they, they, they reconstruct the fact that he's sitting in a railroad tower looking b at what's behind the, the stockade fence in the grassy knoll. He observes two men back there. And when interviewed, he said during the shooting, his attention was drawn to the area by something that happened, a flash of light, he said, or a puff of smoke. At the same time, 
in a different position in front of the limo up on the triple overpass are like nine railroad workers. They observe a puff of smoke hanging in the foliage in front of the fence. Three men run over there, find footprints on a car bumper, and when later asked by another researcher, again, Tink Thompson, said, where, where, where did you see this? They, where were these footprints? He stands behind the fence. Thompson goes across the street, takes a photo that recreates the famous Mormon photo, which includes the knoll. There's a grainy lump in that photo that's not there after the shooting. And when he took a picture of the, this railroad worker, S.M. Holland, standing there, his head is exactly where the lump is. That's where the gunman was. I think the evidence is pretty clear. So what happened when... Was it the House uh, Assassinations Committee that concluded that there was a conspiracy? The House Select Committee on Assassinations did conclude, yes, that the president was killed probably by conspiracy. This was based on the acoustics evidence, which showed up late and seemed to indicate that there were actually five shots and that uh, it fit the pattern pretty well of what you see in the film, sometimes almost eerily well in terms of, of what, what you see in the Zapruder film. I have a couple quibbles about some of it. I don't know that it fits. The evidence is somewhat controversial, but I think at this point that it's probably correct. And the acoustics seems to show there were two shots, bam, bam, one from the knoll. And again, unless you've got just Oswald up in the book depository, you know, any other gun means a conspiracy. Now, what connection, if any, was there in your estimation between Jack Ruby and the conspiracy that you suspect? Well, Ruby's a very strange story. Uh, he certainly was um, connected with mobsters that didn't like the Kennedys, which is uh, which is interesting. On, on the week before the assassination, he was on the phone talking to like everybody that Bobby Kennedy seemed to be prosecuting. It's claimed that Ruby just walked down the ramp and happened to be there as they were making the transfer for Oswald. It's claimed that three, mo- three minutes before that, he was wiring money to one of his strippers, which is true. So they're saying it obviously was just dumb luck. What they leave out is the fact that Ruby had been seen in police headquarters trying to get into the room where Oswald was being interrogated. He was photographed when Oswald was presented to the world press in the back room pretending to be a reporter. At one point when D.A. Henry Wade mentions that Oswald was part of the Free Cuba Committee, a newsman speaks up and says, Henry, that's actually the Fair Play for Cuba Committee. Only it's not a newsman, it's Jack Ruby, who just happens to know this intricate detail about Oswald. He apparently had a close relationship with Dallas police officers in the department because he did. they all they all patronized his uh, strip club. He, he he gave him free drinks. He was well known to police then. But but I interviewed a uh, an FBI agent who blithely told me that oh you know I did interview the cop that let Ruby into the basement and I'm looking at him like um, excuse me so well yeah it was no big deal Ruby was a police buff and they all knew him so they let him in I'm like well sir you know that's not the official version that, that you know there's no official version that says Ruby was led into the basement. And he kind of paused a minute and said, oh, yeah, but, you know, he was a police buff. No big deal. And so, so now what about Ruby's connections with the people that, you know, may have conspired to put this whole dastardly deed in motion? I mean, how's, how's, I mean, how's Ruby connected to them? I don't think anybody really understands how that really fits together. It's, it's, it's odd. Uh, Jack Ruby, you know, as you saw in the movie JFK, they recreate accurately some of his testimony saying, you know, um, Mr. Chief Justice... For me to tell the story about what really happened here, you got to take me to Washington. And they said, Mr. Ruby, we can't do that. And of course, they could do that. They had author- they were authorized to investigate the case. They could have done whatever they liked. So Ruby was a strange character. 
But there is a, you know, a credible report that when they told him that Oswald died, which means he was now subject to the death penalty, and he did get the death penalty when he was tried, he visibly relaxed. He was pacing, he was, he was upset, and when they said Oswald's dead, his stress level should have gone up, but it didn't. He looked relaxed, which implies to some people that he was under some sort of incredible pressure to take care of Oswald and fix the problem. Is there anything beyond speculation that, that supports the, uh, the notion that Jack Ruby killed Oswald to silence him? Because Oswald, in fact, had this information to prove he actually was a patsy and that this was perpetrated by more senior-level government people. I would say that your, your conjecture is believed by a lot of people. I mean, if Oswald was the patsy he claimed to be, and he was given a, a, a reasonable trial and a lot of evidence. For example, they buried a lot of curious evidence about Oswald. He had nitrate tests performed on his cheek and his hands. Now, nitrate tests are notoriously positive at the drop of a hat. Explain what a nitrate test is. Well, it's, it's nitrates um, are ex- associated with explosives. When you get swabbed down, when you go through a, a checkout at, at, um, in, in airports, they're looking for nitrates because almost all explosives contain them. And so when you fire a gun... When you fire so a we, gun, it's explosive, the gases, and you, the gases tend to blow nitrite out onto you know your surface. Now, he had positive on his hands, and there was some evidence. He fired a pistol, and we don't have time today to even talk about what happened to the, the policeman who died that day. But his cheek, if he'd fired a rifle, should have been positive. When they tested the rifle with eight other uh, controls, they all had nitrate on their cheek. Oswald did not. Which, you know, in the hands of a good lawyer would, I think, prove rather exculpatory. That he didn't fire the rifle. That he'd not fired a rifle that day. He says, I'm a patsy. It's a very strange thing for him to have said. He may well have been exactly that. And had he gone to trial, he might have been acquitted. And, of course, the whole purpose of the Warren Report, based on the memo of, you know, J. Edgar Hoover to Johnson and also his acting attorney general, Nicholas Katzenbach, he was urged to set up a commission to assure the public that Oswald was the real assassin and that he does not have Confederates at large. That was the purpose of the Warren Commission. Is there any truth to Bobby Kennedy and uh, Mrs. Kennedy calling through back channels, uh, making communication with Russia at the time, letting them know that, that those two did not believe that they were involved in the assassination? As far as I know, that's a true story. I would, I would refer the listener and you to our discussion with David Talbot about his book, Brothers, that talks about Bobby's reaction to, the, to what happened, which was, first thing he did was call up the CIA and ask him, did you kill my brother? John McCone didn't go to CIA headquarters. He went over to where Bobby was to talk about it. And by all accounts, John McCone was not one of the people who suspected of being in, in the loop in any way. And, um, you know, Bobby Kennedy was convinced that, that the CIA had done it and, and the actions they'd taken against Castro f- factored into this. Lyndon Johnson always said later that, you know, he made the statement late in his life that, um, well, I think that uh, Kennedy was trying to get Castro, but Castro got to him. Well, in an odd sort of way, perhaps the, the plots to get Castro got turned against Kennedy, but it was not Fidel as the prime mover. So if we assume that, that going back to Oswald, if we assume that he, in fact, was a patsy that had been very carefully and artfully set up as far as going to the Soviet Union, coming back, being set up in Dallas, trip down to New Orleans, he comes back to Dallas. Um, what, what other uh, evidence do we have that he had connections to people that perhaps had connections with CIA, FBI, U.S. government or whatever? Because didn't they sort of set him up? Well, I, I would throw out one name. There's many names you could cite, but one really dramatic one is George... The Mornshield. This man was uh, uh, highborn, supposedly a royalty, a Russian um, a royal heritage. 
was a petroleum engineer, came to the United States, hobnobbed with some, you know, highfalutin people. He was friends with Jackie Kennedy's parents. He had a nephew who attended Andover, and oddly enough, the nephew's roommate, George Herbert Walker Bush. DeMornshield knew a lot of interesting people, and curiously, when young Oswald, age 22, ex-Marine, was hanging out in Dallas, he's befriended by DeMornshield and taken around to, again, all of the anti-communist white Russian community in Dallas, which, you know, are, are the people that lost the Bolshevik uh, war with the Bolsheviks. They took this Marxist around like, like he was his pal, and uh, everyone just finds this to be a very strange relationship. George DeMornshield said later in life, well, I did clear it with the local CIA people in Dallas, and people believe that he was basically babysitting Oswald. He got him a job where he was working on um, photography. And, uh, and Ruth Payne, the woman that was uh, supposedly the helping out Marina by letting her stay there, very strange story with her, which we don't have time to go into, but she did get Lee the job at the Texas School Book Depository, which is rather curious. And didn't she have connections with higher-ups, well-known public uh, figures? There certainly are people that have drawn connections between her and the CIA. For example, her sister did work for the CIA. When asked about that later, she said, I, you know, I don't, I don't know what my sister does. <laughs> so, so a lot of people find her to be a, an odd figure. So, you know, looking back on this, if this was any other crime, if this was a cold case that we were watching on some reality show, if we go back. I mean, the problem is, is that this case from from the get-go until now has been plagued, as I understand it, with, first of all, a totally trash crime scene. We haven't even gone into all the things that were not done from the, you know, the around the assassination to what happened at Parkland, et cetera, the body, the autopsy. So we've got a very mediocre uh, crime scene investigation. We have information that's in archives that that is just being spoon-fed out to the researchers and investigators. As sparingly as possible. Do you believe and see or, or visualize that this story, as more and more information is developed, perhaps through the archival documents and things that, that nobody's seen, that this case will ever be cracked? It's, it's entirely possible. Uh, you know, I don't know that we're going to find uh, incriminating evidence of exactly who did what in files, but we're going to find enough background stuff to, I think, you know, further fill in the puzzle. I've always thought it was very strange that when, when the Soviet Union fell and Boris Yeltsin became president of Russia, he requested the files on the killing of Tsar Nicholas, which everybody knew the Bolsheviks did, but they never officially admitted to it. So he asked for the files on that, and voila, they were produced. So it was very grim reading to see what happened to the Tsar and his family, but it was still there 75 years after the fact. And curiously, when they did uh, the Warren Report back in 64, the original plan was to put a lot of this stuff away past our lifetime, and it was, it was put on file for 75 years. Now, a lot of the Records Review Board has pushed up some of these releases, and we may get some interesting things in the next couple of years, particularly if Obama will uh, step forward and help that process. Anyway, we've attempted to do the impossible today, which was solve uh, the great murder mystery, I think, of, of, of recent American history. I'm, we failed, I think, uh, in that, but it was guaranteed that we would. But I hope this is an interesting discussion for our listeners, and I want to thank you, Steve, for uh, asking some good questions. Glad to be here. Enjoyed it. All right. This program was produced by Edward McMillan, as they all are. We will have our annual Thanksgiving show uh, next week, and that should be a little, a little lighter fare than uh, than what we attempted today. <laughs> and thank you for thank you for your uncannily accurate uh, turkey sound effect. 